Jacob Albrocht, Tommy Castor. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. He's got all the insight on what you want to know and maybe some of what you don't want to know. Here's K-State insider Tim Fitzgerald. Oh, man, loving that hype music, Fitz. It's a great time to be a Wildcat fan, a Wildcat, a Wildcat reporter, guys that talk about the Wildcats on the radio, Sugar Bowl, Alabama, who cares who plays for the Crimson Tide? That's an awesome matchup. Uh, You've got K-State basketball, I think, uh, doing what we need them to be doing. God, life is good now, Fitz. Life is good. It is. It really is. I mean, uh, these are really fun times if you're a K-State fan. And um, as you get ready to head to the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, watch your team play Alabama, it's, it is truly a fun time to be. Whether you're a fan or just covering athletics for K-State right now, it's incredible. Let's go back in time, uh, Fitz, and look at the, the Big 12 championship game. Um, that was one of the best football games that I've watched maybe ever. Um, of course, we all know the takeaways behind it. We know that the fallout, everything worked out well. Kansas State got their conference championship. TCU is in the CFP. But overall, just from a purely watching the game perspective, where does that game rank for you? Yeah, it's up there. You know, it it was a game that uh, had some ebb and flows to it in, in terms of, uh, you know, who had the, the mojo going for them, the momentum. And there were just enough mistakes in the game to keep it interesting without being sloppy. Enough guys played really good football, including Max Duggan, you know, and Ty Zentner being so clutch. Uh, had a lot of drama there at the end, didn't it, with the goal line stand, followed by uh, K-State just positioning the field goal. It was, it was really something else to cover. Uh, it kind of played out much similar to what I thought it would be. I thought K-State would win by three. I thought it'd be a really good game. Uh, and uh, it, it, it was a great game between two really good teams that um, now go on to play even bigger games in terms of what it means for the conference that both of these teams can win their games. I think it'll make a really bold statement about the new Big 12. Tim, when you watch that game and you watch Max Duggan, who's now a Heisman finalist, how much regret do you have that he couldn't get that game in, likely before all most of the voters voted? And I don't know when you cast your vote. I believe that you have one. Uh, but yeah. it's too bad, right, that he didn't get the opportunity to do that in front of everybody before they cast their vote. Because I think had he had that opportunity, he would have had a chance. I mean, that was pretty remarkable to see it. And and. People that have watched TCU closely all year have seen that more than just in that game. But that's sort of it feels like when everybody got a good look at it. You know, I, I've long thought it was grossly irresponsible for um, voters to cast their ballot prior to all the games being played by the players they're considering for their ballot, which, um, you know, maybe that's true going into the game. Maybe someone wasn't considering Max Duggan at all. They hadn't seen him. They didn't know about him. Um, again, though, that's irresponsible as a voter not to do some level of research to find out who these guys are and, you know, why they're being considered. 
I'll say this. I, you, you can't reveal your votes, but the last weekend of play changed not only my one and two, flipping them. It altered who I put at three, and I always use my third place on my ballot as kind of a, a conference or regional pick that I think deserves, you know, at least knowing they got a Heisman vote somewhere along the line. Um, I remember years ago I, I put Tony Sands in that slot, and uh, I've been doing it ever since that I've had a ballot. And uh, I did the same, and I, and I did swap who that was at the very end uh, based on that final weekend. So uh, I think we know who's going to win, and but it's mostly because uh, not just they were good throughout the season, racking up numbers against bad defenses in their conference, but, um, uh, you know, that – the benefit from the fact that so many voters were responsible and voted before the games have been played. You know, Fitz, we have, uh, of course, talked weekly throughout the season about the way that this Kansas State program has has grown, um, you know, what we've seen from them throughout conference play. Obviously, this Big 12 championship is a, is a validation of what Chris Kleiman has built in Manhattan. Um, you know, I think it's probably fair to say that um, you know, it's it's clearly a shining moment for Kleiman and what he's been able to do. And of course, you would like to think that this program uh, is is on firm footing for a long time to come. Where do you think, of course, going into a Sugar Bowl game against Alabama and another opportunity to make a statement victory against an, uh, an SEC team in a high profile bowl game? the overall stature of this Kansas state program right now, and then what it could potentially mean to the program moving forward. Yeah. You know, I've, I've done some daily deliveries on this. I, I said, or which are my videos that go up on YouTube. I, I thought December going into this was uh, the biggest opportunity for Kansas state athletics to, you know, have a program kind of surge to the fore um, in a long time, if not ever. And they've, they've accomplished step one and step two is, getting Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. So it can really position K-State coming out of that with some great momentum. But more importantly, today's daily delivery is about the fact that we're heading into a transition phase of the Big 12 when it's going to be 14 schools, including the two exiting. The four new schools will be in. And over these next two years, I think a lot of the pecking order of the new 12 will be established. You know, who's going to be the powers and who's not. And uh, I, I think that's uh, very significant that K-State won this this title. They seem to have some nice parts returning, including quarterback Will Howard. Things seem to be in place. But back one year, and we saw Baylor and Oklahoma State play an equally dramatic game. Baylor wins it. It seemed like those two programs are poised to be the powers of the new Big 12. And lo and behold, they sink to the middle of the pack. So there's a nice warning tell there for Kansas State that you have to continue the momentum into next year and take care of business. Uh, Tim, I'm looking nationally at the big story right now, and it's Coach Prime, right? Coach Prime in Colorado. Has there ever been a a bigger time and need for the Big 12 to get Colorado back? Like, we've got the better TV deal right now. We've got all the momentum. They've got Coach Prime. They are going to be the story nationally next year. And there already are because of the players he's bringing in and now the coaches he's bringing in. We got to go get Colorado and Coach Prime back into the Big 12, don't we? Well, it's interesting because that that administration out there, I'm not talking athletic, I'm talking academic, the, the school administration and a lot of the temperature on campus has been 
really not in favor of college athletics and what they represent for your university. And I think we've seen that reflected in the demise of the football program and, and to a less degree, the basketball program, because Ted Boyle's had some good years out there. But the football program has really been dying of neglect. So the, the uh, ability for the AD to hire a guy of this high profile to have that kind of money must come with a commitment that hasn't been there from the administration. Um, even if you're anti-athletics, you can't deny the marketing ability of being good in football and also the negative impact of being horrific in football, which maybe they're seeing and it finally woke them up. But I think this is a really positive move by Colorado. But I, I got to say this, this is either going to end as a, just a beautiful success and a wonderful story, or it's going to be one of the most glorious collisions and flameouts ever in college sports. If that academic administration kind of turns on football, Dion isn't going to stand for that. Prime's going to let it be known, and it's just going to be a circus. So uh, I agree with you. It's a good sign for Colorado, and, and uh, it might be a sign that they're kind of thinking, we better fix this because if we do need a place to bail out to, if the pack does collapse, the Big 12 may not want us in the current state that we're in, and that would be devastating for Colorado. Not at just athletics, but the entire campus to lose the Power 5 status. I want to go back to the, the Sugar Bowl real quick here, Fitz. <clears throat> uh, one of the storylines going into potentially this game is – the speculation that some of the high-profile players for Alabama may not play, uh, including Bryce Young, you know, some of these guys that are projected as high first-round NFL draft picks. What do you suspect? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but what do you suspect we see in the Sugar Bowl? Do you think we'll see quite a few players from Alabama potentially opting out and not playing in this game? Well, let's put it this way. K-State doesn't control that, and if if you're going to recruit players that, you know, I, the NFL, over success. You know, if you're so uh, successful in football that the Sugar Bowl isn't is beneath you, um, you know, that that's your issue, not Kansas State. Um, I don't want to really hear about opt-outs. When you recruit the five-star guys, this goes with it, too. So, you know, you can either not complain about this or, or give up recruiting players that are more committed to the NFL in their career, which I don't blame them for. I just don't like to hear the program turn around and use an excuse that we're not fully equipped to play this game. I'll I'll be very clear about this. There isn't a single player on the Kansas State roster that I know of that Alabama wanted. Um, Maybe Adrian Martinez back when he was coming out of high school because he was such a high-profile recruit, but in reality, they didn't want any of these guys. They're beneath them, and so – your backups are clearly a higher rated recruit and a a better prospect for, um, you know, college and NFL success. Those are the guys playing. And um, so I'm sorry, that's your, your level of poverty is still another man's wealthy. And I'm not going to let you complain about it and let's get away with it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, get out there and play when you got five stars all over the roster, you get out there and play. How big is this game? Uh, We know the practice time and all that stuff will be big for, for the future. How big is the game and the profile of the game and who they're playing for the future that Chris Kleiman's building? Well, you know, we, we talk, at least I do about brands because that seems to be all college football has become about according to the, the TV entities, the, the broadcast entities, is brands, brands, brands. Um, you know, the ratings for the Big 12 championship show that brands aren't 
aren't everything that matters. Good football, good good content does. But this is the biggest brand. This is the biggest brand in college athletics. I mean, there's nothing that compares to the dominance that Alabama's had in, in college football if you look across to college basketball. Um, this is it with the elite coach of our generation. So I'm, I'm, uh, I know this is a big opportunity for Kansas State. You go back a year ago and look at what beating LSU, beating that brand did for Kansas State um, outside and inside the locker room. And, and LSU had a legitimate concern. They had a coaching change, um, and, you know, and they, they had some attrition, and they went and played their game. Um, and did they point out that they had attrition? Sure they did. But they, they had a more tangible reason than guys just choosing to opt out on their teammates. So I'm, I'm, I know what this means. This could really elevate Kansas State football uh, in the eyes of the national audience as, as the new Big 12 starts to arrive, and it's perfect timing. Talking to Tim Fitzgerald, GoPowerCat.com. Tim, let's switch gears to Kansas State basketball. Since the last time we had you on the show, the Wildcats had a 17-point victory against Abilene Christian on Tuesday night, and they kind of slogged their way through a five-point victory against Wichita State on Saturday inside Bramlage. Let's go to that Wichita State game. Um, Not very pretty to watch, but the Wildcats get a victory and kind of shows, at least in my opinion, that Kansas State can win ugly. What was your takeaway? Yeah, that's exactly tell me what I thought. It, it was ugly. It, um, and, you know, credit to Wichita State. They kind of muddied up the game. They, you know, they turned it into a fist fight instead of an open court game, which is what Kansas State likes to do. Um, but, you know, Marquise Noel has shown that he's a much different player this year. Uh, last year it was, you know, generally Marquise first and then, oh, okay, I'll pass it. This year his assist numbers are way up. But also, he's hitting huge shots, including in this game. Uh, so, you know, if Noel continues to do that, he's going to be uh, go down as, you know, a pretty remarkable player in K-State basketball history as he, as he helps this program bridge from, uh, you know, the past into the Tang future. And uh, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about this group. I've seen some really highs. But, again, I mean, they had 14 points with nine minutes to go in the first half against Abilene Christian before – kind of flipping a switch so they're going to have a little ups and downs here as they learn to play with each other and they learn you know what they need to do to be successful as particularly as the opponents get better and better yeah I, I mean what we we don't have much else to go on either before we yeah. get to the the meat of it right in the big 12 you get nebraska who's fine like they're not great that's a game they need to win especially in kansas city um radford and incarnate word and that's it right so i mean is it the nebraska game that we really lock into because it there's not a whole lot more i don't think out there before they get to that portion of the schedule yeah that's all very valid this non-conference schedule is you know fairly welcoming to k-state they tripped up over Butler, but they, they should get, you know, finish this off with wins. What I'd like to see during the course of this, though, and, and Nebraska would be the choice, you know, not Radford or Incarnate Word, um, you know, as a Power 5 program, even though the Huskers have struggled a little bit under Fred Hoiberg, that uh, K-State play 40 minutes. Defensively, offensively, go out there and, and uh, play at your level. I'd like to see what that looks like because even when they've been successful, they've had – uh, some really down periods in the game. And, you know, that, that's that's not co- uncommon. I mean, most teams do that. 
but I would really like to see what the ceiling looks like for this team. How good can they be when they tur- flip the switch for an entire game? Because to win in the Big 12, some of these games, uh, you take five minutes off and, and get outscored 10-2, to two, you've lost. And you've got to be competitive for the four forty minutes. And I know Jerome Tang certainly knows that. So he's trying to get his team prepared to do that uh, when they open Big 12 play on New Year's Eve at Bramlage Coliseum against West Virginia. So that's going to be another busy sports day for K-State fans. Well, you know, I think I asked you about this a week ago, and I'm going to ask you again. I'm sure your opinion hasn't changed on this, but I'm not sure that there is a better story in college basketball that really hasn't been reported on a whole lot uh, nationally is Keontae Johnson. And, of course, we know what he's done um, just as far as scoring the basketball, even in – you know, an ugly game against Wichita State. He still put up 17 points. He had 12 against Abilene Christian, averaging about, what, 17, 18 points a game, somewhere around there. So as far as an offensive threat, he's been so consistent. And I think the one thing that is remarkable to me that I'd love to get your take on is the fact that he's kind of become a little bit of a workhorse as far as the number of minutes that he's playing. It looks like there are no, at least according to what I can tell, no restrictions on the amount of time that he can play. Um, looks like he's perfectly healthy and he's he's producing at a high level. Yeah, and he's not, uh, you know, he's the dog. He's the main guy. Uh, he's, he's the one they're going to lean on, although Marquise has done a little bit of that himself. Keontae's, you know, been around the block and played a lot of basketball. And he's got that, you know, that kind of grit that you need from a, a main dude. Um, but he's not a ball hog. It's not about him. He gives it up. He's shooting at a high percentage. That's why he's scoring a lot of points. Um, he rebounds. He defends. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been really impressed at how complete his game has uh, been considering the time he took off and the reasons he took off because he went through long periods of the time when he really couldn't do anything other than stand still and shoot the basketball. And I don't think his doctors even wanted that. Uh, so this is a really cool story. I, I tend to believe as K-State continues to win and if they're competitive in the Big 12, that story is really going to kind of emerge nationally a little bit more as if K-State is in the talk for the NCAA tournament. I think that'll be a great storyline. Do you think this is an NCAA tournament team? You said it. You said yeah, it. You I called it. it. I, I, you know, I, I think they have that potential. I, I looked at last year's team and I thought, boy, things are going to have to go really right for this group. They're improved, but, you know, to get over the hump. Now, what's going to hurt this team is this non-conference schedule. Is it going to, you know, give them any big wins uh, in non-conference play? And uh, unless someone really, you know, erupts like an LSU or, you know, I don't even know who else. But um, I don't think the non-conference play is going to do them many, many favors. But I think the storylines are in their favor. And certainly if they can, you know, hover around 500 in this conference, they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. Might be 11th seed. But I tell you what, doing that in your first year with a completely rebuilt roster would say an awful lot about the trajectory of this program under Jerome Tang. Yeah, 100% agree. Nigel Pack being gone certainly seemed to stack the deck against them as well. Uh, okay, Fitz, what do you guys have going at Go Power Cat as we make our way now to the Sugar Bowl? Well, uh, we're, we're going to have a lot of coverage. Honestly, this is kind of a a little bit more quiet week for us, uh, but we're, we're continuing to crank out the coverage and we've got an incredible special right now where it's 50% off your 24 seven sports subscription and you still get Paramount plus for free. And um, so that's basically, you know, 25% the normal price when you combine the two networks. So that's 
that's really cool. That's that's cranking right now, so it's a perfect time to you know buy your spouse if they're a big fan. Uh, subscription to GoPowerCat.com. GoPowerCat.com. He's the man in charge there, Tim Fitzgerald. It's a busy time. It's going to be busy until the end of the year. Uh, and then we'll be right in the middle of college basketball conference season, so it won't let up too much. Fitz, we appreciate it. Always enjoy it, boys. Good to talk to you. Let's do it again next week. Uh, Tim Fitzgerald joining us each and every Thursday here on Sports Daily. As always, if you jumped in late and want to catch that entire interview, you can go to kfhradio.com. Tommy and I will be back with more Sports Daily next. Appreciation to Tim Fitzgerald for joining us. He's an insider. Chelsea Messenger joined us in the first hour. Uh, always a lot of fun to catch up with both of them. Tommy, every day that goes by, wake up, read something, and I'm just like, Colorado hits such a home run here. I mean, Prime is in the news every single day, whether he wants to be or not. What if you need a shot and a bolt of energy? I mean, they could not have hit a bigger home run than bring him in. I don't care if he's just there for a few years. It will have been worth it. Everybody is talking about Coach Prime for whatever reason, right? Whether it's his locker room speech that's brutally honest where he tells the team they're basically not good enough to be here. Like, whatever it is bringing in the high-profile recruits, taking his step into Colorado, imagining prime time in the Rocky Mountains. Like, whatever it is that you do, everybody's talking about prime. He's always been that way. He was that way as a player, right? He's polarizing as a player. People kind of loved him or hated him, and, and he's, you know, boisterous, and he doesn't mind letting air out or doing any of that stuff. Um, and, you know, everybody's going to talk about Bomani Jones, who's a sports personality, uh, talked about the disappointment of Dion leaving the historic black college. We've heard a lot of people uh, with that sentiment, disappointed they won't be there. And I get it to some degree because he did bring relevance to that school uh, in those conferences. But I don't get the, you know, it, I, I think, Tommy, that it's probably okay to be disappointed in that because it was a cool story. What I don't get is begrudging Dion for leaving and advancing his coaching career because lost in all of this, Tommy is the fact that it appears he's a really good football coach. I mean, his teams are winning. He's pulling in good players. He's pulling in good assistance because at the end of the day in high level college athletics, especially in football, Tommy, what's more important than bringing good players and good coaches, both of which he's doing a really good job of right now. Clearly. Yeah. There's a few things here. First off, nobody be very clear about this. Nobody at all gave a damn about Colorado football before a week ago. Nobody did. The team was awful. They were 1-11. They were irrelevant in a conference that, um, you know, they've got a lot of really good teams. I don't think they have, I don't think the Pac-12 really has any elite teams. USC maybe is the, the most likely, but a lot of really good teams in USC and Utah, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington. There are good teams in that conference, 
and Colorado was at the bottom of the barrel in that conference. Nobody gave a crap about Colorado football before Deion Sanders, as a personality, took the head coaching job for the Buffaloes and immediately gave them a shot in the arm. So that's number one, first and foremost, why this is a home run for Colorado, because it brings them into relevance. As far as the Bomani Jones criticism goes for uh, Deion Sanders, first off, we're in a world of hot takes. You right. and I, I think we've got, you know, hot takes that we give from time to time. It's it's part of it. It's the nature of the beast. And, you know, when, when you're on radio or television, uh, it kind of lends itself when you've got a big personality like Deion Sanders to, you know, throw some shots at him. I get that. I recognize that. But the fact that everybody, and I don't want to say everybody, the fact that a lot of people, including Bomani Jones, are begrudging Deion Sanders for this and criticizing this, you could see it coming a mile away. I know that Dion genuinely wanted to raise the profile of Jackson State and HBCUs, and that's great. I don't think that was, um, I don't think that was fabricated. I think he genuinely wanted to raise the yeah, profile and the national support of Jackson State. But he also, Dion Sanders has always wanted to raise the profile of himself when he was a player. You know, he was a media personality for a long time after he retired. And now as a coach, he wants to raise his own profile. And I don't blame him. Who wouldn't? There's There are dollar signs there. There's the potential to make a lot of money while doing it. So the, the fact to you know, have this uh, manufactured outrage over, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm specifically pointing at Bomani Jones here, you know, who's saying Deion Sanders broke a ton of promises to HBCUs. No, he didn't. When he was there, he raised the profile of HBCUs, and now he's moving on to be able to cash in on that, and he should. I don't have any issue with that whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, look, and Bomani came in later and said, I'm not, I'm not trying to get a hater for his decision. He's, I'm, he's just disappointed that he's not there longer. I, I, and I think those are two very different things. Um, and I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, I didn't even see this. And Tommy sent it to me during the break. I don't, I don't consume a lot of outside media these days um, for a lot of reasons. I don't want skewed opinions either. I want to give you genuine opinions and do that myself. But I, I don't know how much he was hating him. And, you know, it's a cable news network that came on and they're creating the headlines and they're sensationalist anyway. And they're saying, you know, critics calling him a sellout. And I'm not sure that Bomani ever called him a sellout. Uh, so I, it's fine. I don't care. It, it all just goes back to the point that everybody's talking about Prime. And it's, I love that he's doing all of this, like the journey to this has been so fascinating to watch. He went out and said he was going to raise the profile for HBCUs, which is a hard task to accomplish, right? And he did it big time. Pulled in some of the best players in the country, got people going to those games, won a ton of games there. I mean, really everything he's ever done and set out to do, he accomplished, right? As a player, as a broadcaster. Now as a college football coach, people laughed at the idea of him having success. It's not that removed from that laughter. And he is a power five head coach. And I'm here to tell you a legitimate one. 
I don't like. Let's stop. It, it goes back to the Trent Dilfer hire, and I don't know if they heard Trent Dilfer and Jim Rome here the other day. I caught some of that driving around. How could you not get on with Trent Dilfer when you listen to an interview like that? How could you not get it on board with Prime when he's pulling five stars and stealing assistant coaches from Alabama, doing all these things, right? Like, how could you not get on board with all these things as they're happening here? Or, or just Saturday and understand, man, that's just a move to ease the fans. This model of you have to do this, this, and this, become a high-level coach, get that out of here. You know, Major League Baseball in the NBA, they don't follow that model. They make guys coaches off the streets all the time, and it works a lot of the time. So there's lots of different ways to find a great coach. And in college football, Tommy, you better be able to get players, and you better be able to get coaches. And Prime so far has done both of those things at a high level, certainly at a higher level than Colorado's team in forever. That makes it a good hire. Simply, that simple. It's a good hire because he's doing things they haven't been able to do right out of the gate. How could you not be happy about that if you're a Colorado fan? And nationally, Coach Prime's in the headlines, man. It's entertainment. Bring it on. It'll be the number one story on college football season next year. 8 to 9, 12, 40. We'll come back. We'll do another giveaway. Have some more fun here as we our last full segment on Sports Daily. All right, welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily on KFH. Tommy Castor, Jacob Albrocht, and Jad Chambers producing the show. The The magic of technology sometimes uh, doesn't yeah, always play well. Uh, yeah, we, we've got uh, Jacob on the phone here joining us uh, for the final segment of the program. Jacob, this just came down uh, a few minutes ago. I want to get uh, your take on it here. The Atlanta Falcons have made a change at quarterback. Marcus Mariota will be benched, and Desmond Ritter will be starting for the Falcons moving forward. Uh, a source told ESPN that earlier today. The Falcons have lost four of their last five games while scoring more than 20 points just one time in that stretch of games. Uh, Arthur Smith kind of suggested that could be a possibility. It's official now. Your thoughts on Desmond Ritter taking over as quarterback for the Falcons? I mean, it's the right call. When, once they officially more or less got eliminated, um, why wouldn't you make the move? Because Marcus Mariota is not the long-term answer, and you drafted Ritter because maybe he is, and and it feels like about the right time in the season to do that too. I think, um, yeah, I, I'm good with it. I would, I probably maybe would have gone to it just a tick earlier, um, but they're in a good position now to make that kind of move and and look to the future. You know, if anything. I think it says a lot that they were able to stay in contention a little bit longer, probably than most of us thought they would be able to do. I don't think Marcus Mariota did a terrible job. I think he did about a, about what we expected. I, I'm I'm always interested in the Falcons right now because they do seem to be under Arthur Smith just a little bit better than we think they should be since he's been there. Um, I'm kind of bullish on him and the overall trajectory of that organization. I don't know if Desmond Ritter is the answer, um, but I think, you know, everywhere but quarterback, things are happening for them. 
I, you know, I think he could be. And I think that, you know, of course, we'll have that opportunity to see what he looks like, you know, now that the job is his for the remaining of this re- remaining games of this season. And I wonder if, you know, what the long-term prospects of Desmond Ritter as a, uh, you know, viable quarterback in the NFL could potentially be. And, and that's going to be interesting to watch as the, the season plays out, the final games of this season play out. And then into next year, it's clearly, you know, his long-term job. Can he live up to that? I think time will tell. And what I think really what I'm most intrigued by, Jacob, with this is what does this mean for Marcus Mariota? He's been through this before. You know, he was the starting quarterback for the Titans for several years before Ryan Tannehill came in and took the job away from him. He became the backup and then kind of had a little bit of a resurgence in his career with Atlanta. Um, There are some quarterback needy teams in the NFL. And you're right. He didn't look awful during his time starting for the Falcons. It makes me wonder if he can find another home where he can be a viable starter, at least for another few seasons in the NFL. No, I don't think we're going to see him as a starter. You know, I I think let's take San Francisco, for instance. I think San Francisco is better off seeing what they have in Brock Purdy and just sort of waiting for Jimmy Garoppolo. One, I don't think Marcus Mariota is a stylistic fit there as much. They would have to change things up a little bit. I think stylistically, you can keep it pretty similar with Jimmy G and Brock Purdy. I think stylistically, they've already had to make the change uh, from a running quarterback when, you know, when Trey Lance got hurt. Maybe it would make more sense if Trey Lance had been the starter. The offense was built that way and you went to it. But for now, I don't know that that makes a ton of sense. And if I'm the Rams, I'd rather see Baker Mayfield than Marcus Mariota. Um, So, you know, I don't know. I think that Mariota is a world-class guy. I actually know that a little bit firsthand based on a, a story I did a long time ago and a a young man battling cancer and Mariota's availability and, and the part of that story he played. So he's a really, really, really good dude. Um, I think he's absolutely got the ability to be a high-quality backup in this league. I'll give you an example. If I'm Baltimore and I make the commitment to Lamar Jackson, right, if they, if they end up committing to Lamar Jackson, I would immediately go sign Marcus Mariota if he's out there. If I'm Philadelphia, if I'm – hell, if I'm Buffalo – any, any offense where a quarterback's legs are utilized in a, in a big way, I would really think hard about bringing Marcus Mariota in as my backup quarterback because you can still do a lot of the same things offensively if your starter goes down, if you have him in there. Is he a high-level quarterback in this league? No. But he's, he's you know, around the average probably. Um, and – I, I think he has some value left, and I just I root for him, the person, because he is a good person. So I do, I, I do hope he finds a landing spot and, and gets some opportunities down the stretch. I think he could be of value as a starting quarterback moving forward, maybe not forever, and he's never going to be a quarterback that is going to take a team to the promised land, but he can be a clear upgrade for a number of teams that have absolutely struggled at quarterback. I'm going to throw some stats out at you for this season. He's 184 of 300. He's thrown for over 200 yards, 15 touchdowns, nine interceptions. So his touchdown to interception ratio is pretty good. And then running the football, we've all known his ability to run a career high, 85 rushes, 438 yards and four touchdowns. Oh, and by the way, he was also the NFC offensive player of the week in week six 
where he you know had a great game against the 49ers. So I think that there is value remaining for Marcus Mariota. I look at a team, I look at a team like the New York Jets. Um, Zach Wilson, that experiment is not working out. Mike White, yeah, I think the Jets maybe feel like they've got something in him, but I don't know if he's going to be the long-term solution at quarterback for the Jets. Look at a team like the Houston Texans. We know that they're going to draft a quarterback really early, but their quarterback situation is awful with Davis Mills and Kyle Allen. There are teams that Marcus Mariota could be a clear upgrade as a starter. I don't disagree with you that as a backup, he provides value for teams like the Ravens with Lamar Jackson or you know Buffalo or whatever. As a backup, a high-quality backup, sure. I get that there's value there, but I do think that he's got some time left where he could be an upgrade at the starting quarterback position. Yeah, he's de- that's what I mean. He's, he's, he's better than the bottom end of the league. I don't think there's any question about that. I, I just think for where he is, I mean, he's 29 years old, um, what teams are looking for. I don't know that, you know, he, he can be a stopgap probably in some places. But I, I also think for him and, and for the league, like if he could get somewhere for a good team where their quarterback gets hurt and their season's not over, that's where his, his most value is going to be, right? Rather than go play in Houston for a season while they groom their next quarterback, which is what he's doing this year in Atlanta. Like what if, what if Mariota was in Baltimore now and Lamar Jackson goes down? I mean, if you're the Ravens, you're like, yeah, we lost, you know, a former MVP, but we feel pretty good about Marcus Mariota being able to get us through until we can get Lamar back. Same thing for, you know, if he played for the Jets this year. I, I just don't know. And, and the interesting place will be the Jets are a good example of this. The team that's good now and ready to win now that's a quarterback away that doesn't really have time to develop that quarterback for the next year. Yeah, the Jets would be a good example of can you build something around Mariota. But, you know, the Jets have a, they have quite a bit of talent at receiver. And, and for Marcus Mariota this year, I mean, he's thrown for 200 yards, more than 200 yards in a game like three times, right? Um, he hasn't in the last five games. He has, I think, four touchdowns to three interceptions in the last five games. So he's never going to come in and be a high-octane, high-volume passing offense kind of guy. But is there a good fit for him? There's, I don't think there's any question about that. It's, you know, what's his best placement in the league? And I think it's as the league's, like, top backup at a really good team with a stylistic fit that works. Yeah, you know, I also think of Marcus Mariota kind of in the same vein as Jacoby Brissett in Cleveland. Um, you know, and we knew that with everything that was going on Absolutely. with Deshaun Watson, that Brissett was going to have to come in and lead the team for a while. And you kind of felt like, all right, Brissett is a backup, but he's kind of a high level backup. Like we talk about the tiers of starting quarterbacks in this league, but there's also tiers of backup quarterbacks in the league. Also, 100%. Where you know that there's a clear, you know, drop off from a starter to a backup. And, you know, at least in Cleveland, that drop-off probably isn't as large from Watson to Brissette. Um, And then if Marcus Mariota goes, let's say he ends up in a place like Baltimore as Lamar Jackson's backup, um, that that's not a, a monumental drop-off. Like, you still feel fairly confident if you can go to a Mariota if something happens with a Lamar Jackson. So, yeah, there's clearly value there, without a doubt. I, I'm intrigued to know, and I'm going to be watching it pretty closely. I know you will, too what Desmond Ritter can do for Atlanta. Um, That Falcons team, the the Falcons organization, they were blessed 
to have Matt Ryan in his prime for a number of years. You know, he was an NFL MVP. Um, now they they didn't win a Super Bowl with him, but he played high quality football for a long time. It's a uh, it, it's, it, right. It's it right exactly. But it's it's not the Matt Ryan that we see now in Indianapolis. Like he was a high caliber quarterback for quite a while in Atlanta. They drafted Desmond Ritter in the third round of the NFL draft with the clear intention of developing him and making him the long-term franchise quarterback for this organization. And we don't know. We, we know what he did at Cincinnati, but we don't know. We don't know if he's got the, the capability of doing that long-term. Um, the Falcons have put that pressure on him, you know, let him be on the bench for the first 13 games of the year behind Mariota. It's his team. Now, how is he going to respond? I wish they would have given him a little bit more of an evaluation time, but they were in the playoff race. What were they supposed to do? I get it. Yeah. Um, I, I like Desmond Ritter. It just because he played for Cincinnati and gave us finally the non, you know, power five team into the, into the college football playoff. He played in a lot of really high profile games and he sort of, because Cincinnati was an outsider played an underdog role that I think naturally made us all fans, right? We all wanted to see Cincinnati win and get in, right? Very few people didn't want Cincinnati to try the Cinderella story. And so I I think we do have a little bit of an affinity to Desmond Ritter nationally, and I hope that that works out because his college career was one that was fun to watch. Now he was drafted in the third round. I don't I don't know how to scout him. You know I don't I didn't I didn't evaluate him, and I and I don't do that that often anymore. I just kind of see him once they get to the NFL. So we'll see. But but it is the right call. I'm glad they're doing it. I wish for his sake he could have got probably two more weeks. Four weeks is going to be a pretty small sample as the Falcons try to evaluate whether he's the guy or not. Well, the Falcons on a bye this week. Ritter's first game experience will be on the 18th in a hostile environment, a divisional matchup. The Falcons on the road at New Orleans taking on the Saints. It's Desmond Ritter's team now. We'll see how it goes. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll tell you what's on tap today on the network and wrap things up here on Sports Daily. Sports Daily. 